In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's a long gospel, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, one of my first memories as a kid of going to church is reading this long gospel, and I always dreaded it. I don't know what it is as a kid. I guess I, we're all, when we're all kids, it's hard to sit still for a long time. And I can move around my legs, get moving around, and I'd always flip. See how far, how much longer do I have to? How much longer is the gospel going to go on? And then I would see all oh, three more pages. Great. But it's, it was funny. You know, in the book, if you're following along, it gives us options to read a shorter version, doesn't it? It gives us a little truncated version of it. No. That's for wimps, if I dare say so. We read it long. Read the long version. Why? Salvation history, my friends. God's ingenious, magnificent plan to save humanity is unfolding before us here. Now I want to broaden this and why every intricate detail, and we can't touch on every single aspect of this beautiful gospel. But let's pull back a little bit. Harking back all the way to Genesis, our first parents were Adam and Eve, and we know the story well. They fall. They disobey God, God who had created humanity. Now remember, I think we all, whether we admit it or not, we think that we need to exist. That somehow our egos puffed up as they are. Again, we all struggle with this. And somehow we are the only ones that actually need for the world to, to keep on turning. I need to be here. I think in some subtle way we all think that mightily about ourselves. But no. So God now, who creates humanity because he wants, to sh- wants us to share in his life. Sheer, utter gift. I didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Nobody deserved the ruha, the spirit of God, the breath of God breathed into the very lungs of Adam and Eve when he created them. Creates them, gives them the powerful ability now to love, to choose. Because remember, we have to understand that in order for love to exist, which is the most powerful force which gives life utter meaning, is love. And by definition, love needs to be free. Love needs to be chosen. Love needs our free will to exist. Otherwise, it's not love. God instills that powerful ability within every single human soul now. And then Adam and Eve mess it all up for us. Dante, in his famous story, The Divine Comedy, on the very lowest reaches of hell, in the darkest place of hell, Dante places traitors there. That is the lowest place. It is people who betray. That's the lowest place. And how powerful that our Lord, in fact, in the Gospel today, describes Judas now 
with those words. I don't know about you, but it wouldn't be a good day if, if I were to be described as somebody that it would be better for not you to be born. The very words of our Lord, that it would be better for Judas not to be born. Why? Because it commits the foulest of sins, betrayal. A rejection now, if you think about what is, what is a betrayal? Betrayal is a, is, a, is a rejection of love, ultimately. God creates Adam and Eve, boom, rejects. And even though we commit the worst of the, the, heinous, the heinous of all sins, God is pursuing relentlessly, doesn't he? And the story of Genesis, the story of Abraham, the story of Moses, of God now choosing a little tiny people, forming the Jewish people, creating a people after his own heart now, began to launch this long, thousands of years mission of saving humanity. And the question is, how now? Because no matter what God would try to do, and we read this spectacularly in all, all of the Old Testament, God is constantly pursuing humanity. He's constantly pursuing, constantly pursuing. And then what do we do? Rejection, rejection, rejection. Betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. We go off, God gives us this powerful covenant, and what do they do? They, they constantly go out and they worship the other gods. Traitors. What is God to do? And so he launches again this powerful mission. Before Christ enters Jerusalem, it's said that he was standing on the Mount of Olives. So the Mount of Olives kind of gets in our minds geographically. The Mount of Olives was just sitting over the city of Jerusalem. If you go there today, there's a beautiful church. If, I remember, if I, my, my memory serves me, it's called Dominus Flavit, in Latin meaning the Lord wept. So there he is, he's entering now, he's going to Jerusalem. He goes and stands before the entire city, which looks in front of him, right over there, beautiful. The Temple Mount would have been the highest mountain or the highest peak in that beautiful skyline of Jerusalem. And as he looks them over, he says he stands on the Mount of Olives and he weeps there as he looks it over. Because remember, the city of Jerusalem. What is the city of Jerusalem? The city of Jerusalem was founded as the place of sacrifice now. That's why for any Jew to this very day, why is Jerusalem so fought over? Why is Jerusalem so important for us? Because for the holy city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem was that place that God had created his holy temple where the, Jewish, the Jews were commanded to offer sacrifices. Day after day, day after day, they would offer incense, they would offer animals. And that is why if we were alive in these ancient days, before you even saw Jerusalem, you would have smelt it first. It would have smelled of wretched, burning flesh. The smell of, of old blood, rotting animals. The smell from Jerusalem would have been utterly disgusting. Because the Jewish people would offer sacrifices there, animals, in atonement for sins. 
And so now God goes, Jesus goes to this holy city of Jerusalem for the Jewish people, and he's standing on the Mount of Olives, and he looks it over and he weeps. And he says there, as he's standing on the Mount of Olives, it says that as, he, as he's looking over an entire city of Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Israel, if only you would have recognized the time of my coming. He says, if only you would have recognized me. I could have saved you from this calamity that would soon follow. And then he weeps there because he knows what's about to happen. So he goes to Jerusalem now the next day and it says that the people brought out the olive branches or the palm branches which you see decorated here in this church. The palm branches were a sign in the ancient world of a triumphant king. So, the, so a triumphant king would enter into a city, conquered, and then the people would lay down the palm branches. And they would sing and they would commemorate and they would rejoice. Because they would see this king now who would enter in and take power. Take victorious power. And they see Jesus now, notice, as he's walking in, and they're screaming out, Osan in the highest Recognizing him, the same crowd would, within a few short days, instead of Osana, would yell, crucify him. Reject him, betrayal. Should we be surprised? No. Because we've been doing this since Adam and Eve. Peter, his closest, did this spectacularly when he rejects him, said, Lord, Lord, I will be with you. I'll stay with you to the very end. And the Lord even says, before even the rooster crows, you'll betray me. Where are his apostles, by the way? Where are they? The 12 men that had gathered around him for three years who shared their entire lives. Where are they? Gone. Betrayal. Rejection. Should we be surprised? No. We've been doing this since the very beginning. But notice now, because what happens? In the normal order of things, when somebody hurts you, when someone rejects you, what is a natural human inclination? You fight back. Reject as well. You hurt me, I hurt you back. You steal from me, you slap me, you reject me, guess what? I'll hurt you even more. This constant dynamic of sin, which our world is always locked into. Ah, but not Jesus. Jesus willingly walks into the darkness of human sin now and willingly goes to the place of sacrifice. Now, notice the language. Sacrifice now, not with animals and bulls and goats and birds or pigeons. But Christ now comes and he walks into precisely with himself. And look at the powers of the world. Look how they treat him. Jesus, prophecy, prophesy. Jesus, tell us who, who hit you. 
and they spit up and mock upon him, and they mock him, Jesus, Jesus, save yourself. Or powerfully, beautifully, and then in the garden it says that Peter takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of the, of the servant. But Jesus tells him, put away your sword. Do you not think that I can summon an entire legion of angels within a single flick of my fingers? and They can save me. Notice now here that our Lord willingly offers himself as a victim. But not as a passive victim. Here, notice the difference. Our Lord doesn't simply allow this to happen with no act of his own. But he says, I willingly give up my life for this. See, that's the difference between a victim now here precisely as a priestly victim. You see, a priestly victim offers sacrifices on behalf of the people. And our Lord, what he powerfully changes now, why we no longer offer animals and bulls and goats in our, in our services, is because we offer now Christ himself, who willingly takes on all of the betrayal, all of the sin of humanity now upon himself. And that is why despite rejection, despite betrayal, Allah continues to go. And the final sacrifice that we have here is our Lord himself. My friends, that is why we read the long version. Because God's culminating plan is right before us. God set upon the plan of his plan in motion after Adam and Eve immediately. And that is why we're here, we welcome him now as Christians, tens of millions across the world are gathering on this day as we commemorate and we begin the most sacred, the most holiest of holiest of weeks. We enter into Jerusalem now with Jesus as we witness before us God's saving plan. So buckle up. Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and then finally, my friends, Easter Sunday. In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit.